Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. today would you do this uh, electronic bible physical bible whatever you brought would you lift it up today and let's say this out in faith say this is my bible it is god speaking to me so i open my heart today to hear and receive the word of the lord would you open your bibles today to the book of john john chapter 17 john chapter 17 and i want to talk to you for a few minutes about the power of one the power of one. That's not one person. It's unity, the power of unity uh, today. And uh, John chapter 17, Jesus was praying. And this was pretty close before he ascended on, you know, he was here with his disciples for three years. He was discipling them. But a little bit before he descended, just either it was a day before or a couple of days before, he was saying this to them. And he said, disciples, I want you to know this, John 17, 20. I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe In me through their word. Somebody say, that's me. Yeah. Okay. He says, that they may all be one. Well, Jesus wouldn't pray something that they may all be one unless maybe we'd have a problem with that. Right? Maybe we'd have a problem with that. I don't know if you were raised in church or you weren't raised in church, but the church doesn't necessarily have a reputation for being all in unity all the time. Do you know that? The church doesn't necessarily have a reputation for that. Yeah, I mean, we want to have a reputation for that, the church at large. I'm talking about the church at large, right? But, you know, you see what denomination are you, what, 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 uh, and then you get in the church, you know, and they say, oh, yeah, this church came from a church split that came from another church split that came from this. And then we were in here and we had this rift and we had, you know, that's why Jesus prayed way back then that they may be one as My father and I are one. He says, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Notice this, that the world may believe that you sent me. The greatest witness that we can ever have is unity within the church. I know that we, the church, can pray for unity in the world, but we can't even get unity in the church. (laughs) So if... (laughs) Thank you. We're in unity. <laughs> so if Jesus prayed that we would be one, do you think we should pray that we'd be, we'd be one? Come on, just stop and pray it right now. Lord, I pray that we would be one. That any division, any division in families, any division in the church, Lord, we pray that there would be a oneness with us, community in our church, in Jesus' name. And we pray for a unity in our city. Come on, just pray that with me. Lord, I pray for a unity amongst the churches, amongst believers in the city, in the name of Jesus, that the world may see, that people from the outside can look at the church and see that Jesus is Lord. See, I believe unity starts in the church. Or it should. It should. Now, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians was written by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus. And in chapter 4 of Ephesians, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called with all lowliness and gentleness, with all long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. What does that mean, putting up with one another? Have you ever had to, notice he was talking to Christians, have you ever had to put up with somebody? 
Come on, have you ever had to put, she said they had to put up with me. <laughs> Has anyone ever had to put up with you? Have you ever had to put up with somebody? Now, let me ask you this, this question. Have you ever had to put up with a Christian? They say, yeah, that's the ones I have to put up with, right? Yeah. He says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. He says, walking worthy of the calling with which you were called in lowliness, in gentleness, with long, somebody say, long suffering. Bearing with one another in love. And then notice he says, endeavoring to keep the unity. It means, it means straining, doing everything you can do to keep unity. Well, why is unity? Jesus prayed for unity. Paul's saying, walk worthy of the calling. Make sure that you keep unity. Why is unity so important? Well, unity is important because unity is where the Spirit of God flows. Unity is where the blessing of God flows. Unity is where the voice of God speaks. Unity. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity, notice, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body. Somebody say one body. One body. Somebody say one spirit. One spirit in which you are called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism of God, uh, one God, one Father of all, uh, who is above all, through you all, and in you all. Lord, I pray today that you would open our eyes to see the importance of of unity in our lives, in Jesus' name. Let me tell you, unity is not just the absence of conflict. I know people will say, you know, I don't like conflict. I like to, I like to feel, you know, just, just tranquility and peace and unity so that I can feel. Unity is not just the absence of conflict. Unity is not just, let's just get all the, I don't even want to talk about it because it's bad, it's bad um, vibes you know, and things that are going out. Unity is not just that, okay, getting out the bad. It's not defined, unity is not defined on what we don't do. Unity is defined on what we, I don't want to say do-do. <laughs> unity is defined on, on the things that we do, right? Not on what we don't do. Uh, it's like, you know, the word, there's several words for it. Coordinate, co coordinate, working together. Uh, collaborate. Um, concert. Um, I was raised up in music and, and I studied music for a number of years and I actually, uh, uh, some of you may know, I, I studied uh, orchestra. I have a degree in conducting, you know, orchestras, okay? So I had to conduct orchestras and I had to play different instruments in orchestras and the concert orchestras and I had to go to a lot of different concerts and those kinds of things. But I can tell you, there's times where you would sit in, and, I, and I'm sure you know this, you sit in concerts like a symphony playing together and there is a oneness that they play with. That there's something that when they play together and they collaborate, they're in concert, they're in, they're in oneness, that it creates something that one instrument couldn't create. There's something, there's a collaboration that one instrument, the sound that they enjoyed is the sound way better than they could enjoy on their, all week long they're playing alone and they're practicing, but then when they come into concert, there's something they can do. Can I tell you, there's something Jesus knew, there's something that we can do that you can't do. There's something that we can do that I can't do. There's something that we need to do to be in concert. That's why he said, I pray, just like a symphony orchestra, that they may be one. Why? Because you can get something done if you're one. Uh, by the way, it, 
something that I learned about this, and I just wanted to point, point this out. If you have, say you have 80 instruments, and they're all in concert, and they're all playing together, how many instruments does it take for it to sound off? What if 90% were on? Yeah, what, what if, no, no, I mean, seriously, what if 90% of the, I mean, most of them are in, in sync, how would everything sound? What if 99%, what if 95% of them were in sync? What if 98% of them, yeah, one instrument off would be off. So there's something about a coordinated effort about working together, flowing together, functioning together, and being one that you walk in. You don't only see it in church, you see it in music, in concerts. Have you ever walked in and you feel like this, like, Oh, is that God? I just feel this like overwhelming. The other day I was listening to something and it wasn't, it wasn't Christian. It wasn't like, uh, you know, Christian words or Christian this or it was something. And man, I started crying. And I thought, why am I crying by something that's like, you know, because it was beautiful and it was in concert. It was working together. It was coordinate. You know, God put it in very, the very nature. Sometimes we see the clouds and we see things that are working together and flowing together. It's the way the Lord created us to be. But listen, we as believers need to make a decision, an effort, and even, even strain to say we got to keep the unity. Why? Because God can get something done if we do. God can get something done if we do. Unity, unity is not just the absence of conflict. You, unified is really what we do together. Last week we talked about community being common unity. Common unity. What do we have in common? We, also have, we all have a life that goes on outside of the walls of this church, of course. The majority of your time is outside of the walls of this church. But what is it that we have in, in, in common? What is it that we share in common? And I want to tell you this morning, what we share in common, I believe, is a mission, is a vision. And it's not that we just identify with it like, yeah, I go to that church. I identify with that church. Well, being identifying and agreeing with someone doesn't make you community with them. Making you community with them says that we have a common unity, a common heart, something that we share, something that we embrace, something that we do together, something that we, you don't have to be talked into, something that it, it's not what you do. Community is not what you do. Community is who you are, who you identify with. And I'll tell you why we identify with one another at this church is because we identify with Jesus together. So we have something together, but we also have a shared mission together. Our mission together. I want you to, actually, would you look in the seat back pockets in front of you, and I just want to look at this again. This is not something that was just a lesson or last week. This is something that's going to go on and on right here in front of you. It says our big four, the four big things, but I want you to turn on the other side. Our mission is this. People encounter God. This church, Memphis Tabernacle, is all about people. It's about people. Well, I, I'm, about, I'm about God. Yeah, but God's about people. <laughs> what do you think people are created in the image of? God, right? So God is all about people. For God so loved people that he gave his son, right? So it's that people would encounter God 
Say it with me. People would encounter God, walk in freedom, and live out their destiny. That's what we share. That we want, number one, we want people to encounter God. Our mission is not to grow a big church. That may happen as a byproduct. That's not what we're going after. We're growing out, going after growing big people. We're, growing, we're going after people encountering God, people getting life changed, people getting free from their bondages and sin, people getting free so that they can live free for God and free to be who God's created them to be. Right? That's what walking in freedom. And then live out their destiny. What does it mean? It means we believe, we share. This is what we share. We share the belief that every person was created in the image of God. Every person was created with divine destiny, with divine DNA, so to speak, that just like your fingerprint or, or your eye print, right? Someone said that now they're starting to read uh, your eye because your eye is even more right, or even more distinct, your, your, iris, your eye scan. But just like your eye is distinct and your finger is distinct, listen, your spirit is distinct, and God has a specific purpose and a specific calling and something on your life. And our heart as a church and as a community is that every person would find the distinct plan of God for their life and to share it first and foremost with one another and also outside. It's not saying, you know, you got to keep it inside. Well, no, let your, let your light shine to all for all the world. It's outside. But you wouldn't say hide it from yourself. I mean, if you, if you have a family, right, and you have a painter that's inside the family, you wouldn't say, well, I'm not going to ask him. He's my brother. <laughs> well, no, he's a painter, and I'm just using it as, as an example. Um, if you have a counselor that's in the house, right, you're going to come up and say, hey, could you give me some advice on what to do? Well, there's all kinds of gifts that are within this body. And you want to share it with inside and outside. And that's what we share. That's our mission. What is our culture? Our culture is love, it's presence, it's humility, and it's that we're all in. We love God. We love people. We, we share in the presence of God. You'll hear it about it over and over. We know that without God's presence, we're nothing, that we're humble. Nobody's trying to climb a corporate ladder here. That's not what we're all about. We don't even have a ladder. We threw the ladder away. And then all about all in. What does that mean? It means we do things together. Right? We, we go for it. We're not trying to strap anything on, on, on 20%, the Pareto principle, right? And then turn it over. Our big four, there's four things we do. We just, we're just going to keep doing them over and over. There's four big things we do. Sunday we have worship. Tuesday we have prayer. We come and seek God and pray for one another. And we pray for our city and we pray for our nation. And we pray for things around us. Why? Because if we don't pray, we're in trouble. Everything big starts with prayer. So we come together and we pray. It's not the only time we pray, by the way. We pray all the time. But um, on a daily basis, we have small groups. And these are the different kinds of small groups. Um, we have outreach, uh, which uh, we had an outreach event yesterday. But these are, the, these are the four big things that we do and that we share in mission about. Uh, and then your big four. We shared about it last week. What is your part in the community? It's not just to identify with the community, but what is your part? Well, you come when, when the doors are open. You come and you invite others to come um, into, the, into the family, into the community. Uh, you find a small group. You jump into it. You know, find a time that works with you. If you say no times work with me, then start a small group. Find the time that works with you. Maybe the time you have can... Uh, Someone else can, you know, that'd be their good time. Uh, you discover your gifts and then you serve others with your gifts. There's a couple of things 
that I did want to mention that are coming up uh, that are really important. One is um, uh, we have October that we never had one before, but we have a revival that's coming up. With Carol Ward is coming from South Sudan. She came and spoke on a Tuesday night, and I asked her if she would come and do a revival. Now, I said that we're going to have a revival because it came up in my heart, revival, and someone told me, you can't schedule a revival. And I said, we just did. We did. It's, it's, it's in October. They said, you can't schedule a revival. I said, we just did. We scheduled one. It's on, it's on uh, uh, it, it, we're having one on um, October um, the 8th through the 10th. And uh, what are the times? October 8th through 10th. 8th is Sunday. And so, um, you know, I was raised in times where we, the times weren't the biggest thing. When you're in the presence of the Lord, <laughs> uh, the services may be longer. And, and, and they're not like that every, necessarily every week, but I'm saying it is something that we're scheduling a time, 8th through 10th. If you're hungry for God, I'm believing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, October the 8th through the 10th. I was uh, just communicating with, with Carol. She's, she's over there, I think. I don't want to quote how many people are coming to Jesus every month. I think it was at least 5,000 people a month. But they're seeing, they're, seeing, they're seeing amazing revival that's happening over in, in that city or in that, uh, that country, that area. And the question she asked me, she said, uh, uh, now are you going to, do you want to do, uh, I said, could you come teach on prayer? She said, now do you, is the church going to, are we going to do prayer or are we going to do prayer and fasting? Pastor, which one would you want to do? You know, and I'm thinking, well, what would the church do? Like if we said fasting, would the, would the church all fast? Would the, and I thought, well, I'm not going to ask that question. I'm going to ask the Lord, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do prayer. We're supposed to be fasting. How much fasting? How much prayer? How much we're going to? And, you know, I just kept it open. I said, well, we're going to do whatever the Lord wants us to do, but I'm going to get an answer back to her. I haven't answered her back. But I want to tell you this. Would you mark your calendars October 8th through 10th, and let's believe for a move of God? I know we all want something from God, but what can we deposit into? Well, how much can we sow into our spiritual life um, in that? And so it's, it's an important time coming up. I also, uh, also want to thank the Lord, uh, or I also want to tell you about discipleship. Discipleship starts today. We have discipleship 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And let me tell you, Jesus said go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say go tell people to pray a prayer or go make them Christians. He said make disciples. And he said teach them to observe or to follow all that I've commanded. Teach them to follow me. So today we're starting discipleship 1. We don't have discipleship 1 for a few months again. But today, and then we're going to go into discipleship 2 afterwards. So if you've never been in discipleship 1, it's downstairs. It's for about an hour and a half. Today it starts. It's for five weeks. You'd have to commit for five weeks to do it. But pray about it. If the Lord's prompting your heart to do it, then he'll give you the grace to do it. But I'm telling you, if it's something that you have been asking for a God encounter, you've been asking God, then consider sowing spiritually into your life by coming and investing your time to come and, and invest into discipleship. I'm going to teach the class myself, and I believe it's going to be a life-changing time. I also want to stop, and I want to thank the Lord for something we've been praying about. Um, uh, for a few months, uh, this parking lot right over here 
Uh, we've had more and more potholes that have been happening, and my concern has been people tripping and, uh, 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 you know, the danger and things that have, uh, because of that and the weather that we're about to go into the wintertime. And so we had got a bid on paving it or on covering it and such. And I can tell you that even just a couple of weeks ago, we were praying about it and finding out, you know, what the estimates were and what it would take to, to do that. And we were praying about it, what we could budget to do that. But I'm here to tell you today that um, the Lord used someone from our congregation, but God completely provided. No, listen. And the parking lot's not only just a slurry coat, it's completely repaved, restriped, redone. Can we just give God praise for that today? Come on. Let's give God praise for that today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's a lot of money. Tens of thousands, maybe $50,000. There's a lot of money. That's in that. God, God completely provided for that. That's supernatural. Aren't you, glad I, aren't you glad I'm not up here begging for money? Do you like a church like that where someone comes up and begs, come on, who will give another two? Who will give another? Well, do I have another? Aren't you glad you don't have to deal with that? Let's just thank the Lord that he provides every need. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Unity. That's unity. It's all part of unity. Well, there's something that God's called us to do together. I want us to look in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at a few more places. Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 16, he's talking about the body. By the way, who created our physical body? God. Who created the body of Christ? God, yeah, same creator, right? Okay, he created. But it says in Ephesians chapter 4, there is one body, he says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by what every part does its share. Somebody say every part does its share. Causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every part does its share. So how does the body grow and how does the body work? Everyone's got to do something. It didn't say everyone's got to do everything. It said everyone's got to do its part. So let me ask you, if you're a part of this body, what are you responsible for? Somebody say, my part. Are you responsible for the part next to you? No. You're responsible for your part. What am I responsible for? My part. But if you're not doing your part, what has someone else got to do? Your part. <laughs> That's why people get stressed out and overwhelmed. Why? Because someone is not doing their part. So what do we have to do? We just have to ask the Lord, what's my part? Right? What's my part? Each part does its share, causes growth to the body for the edifying itself in love. I, I remember <laughs> years ago, I was at a church picnic. By the way, we're at, there's a church picnic coming up on October the 30th. I'll tell you about that at some other point, okay? But um, th they would have these things called the, the potato sack race. Have you ever been in something like that where you put one leg in a potato sack and the other leg, and then they tie the sack together, and you're trying to run together and walk? Anybody ever done one of those before? Is that just California? Anybody ever done one of those before? Okay, okay, good. Yeah, you've done one of those. And it feels really weird. It feels really uncomfortable. It feels really weird. And you usually trip. And you almost have to, you have to coordinate. You have to say, you know, you have to say, like, left, right, left. And then you realize their right, left is your right. And this, and then you're like, wait, wait, wait. Uh, middle, out, middle. And you're like, how do you even communicate this kind of stuff? And you realize the people who are the best coordinated are the ones who win the race, Right? It's not just if you're a good runner that you win the race. It's if together. It's not just if you have two good runners win the race. It's who's the best coordinated that wins the race. But he says here, <laughs> I think of that example because he says here, every part does its share, but you're joined and knit together. 
You know, it's not just, okay, what's my part? I'm going to go do it. I can do it between sudden chest. Well, the problem is, is you got to do it together. Oh, why do I got to do it together? Because the Bible says you got to do it together. You got to work together. So not only do you do your part, but you got to do your part together with somebody else. Oh, that's frustrating. That's why you have long suffering. <laughs> right? That's why you have long suffering. That's why a lot of people give up. And when they give up, they don't get the reward of what we get together. So what do you do? we got to work together. To do what? To get what the Lord, the rewards that the Lord wants together. He wants the church to work together, people to work together. The whole body needs every part to win. And when we work together, we're able to win together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he gives uh, some examples of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that, of that one body being many are one body. By the way, how many bodies are there? How many members are there? A lot, right? Okay. He says, as one body, many members. He says, one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Uh, and he says, and have all been made to drink in the spirit. Why is he writing this in the Bible? Because he's saying, I know there's a lot of Jews over here, and they don't want Gentiles to be in this. And I know there's a lot of Gentiles that are saying, ah, these Jews over here. And I know there's a lot of people that are saying, I don't want to put up with these guys. And I know there's a lot. Do you know still today in the church, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they, and I, and I, they said, where does your, I had a Memphis Tabernacle shirt on. And they said, oh, what does your shirt say? I said, you know, it says Memphis Tabernacle. And they said, what is that? I said, oh, it's a church right over here. And they said, oh, I'm a Baptist. And I said, oh, I love Baptists, you know. <laughs> Like, I'm not trying to divide you. I love, I love Baptists. Yeah. John the Baptist, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> he was a Baptist. <laughs> not against Baptists. I love Baptists. Amen. But, you know, sometimes we get into these divisions. What are you? Right? He says, for we're one body. That's what we are. Baptism. Uh, we just had a baptism this morning, and we have, uh, we're, what, what happens in baptism? Well, we die to ourself, and we're alive in Christ Jesus. And he says that when we're, we come alive, there's one body, there's one baptism. We're not baptism into some denomination. We're baptism into Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, you're my brother. You're my sister. You're stuck with me. I don't like you. But you're still my brother and sister, and I'm yours. And what, is he, what do we have to do? We have to work together. We have to flow together. And I'll tell you, after you get to know one another, you end up liking one another after a while. You know, I've told the example in here before. We have, uh, we have three boys, and then we have a girl that came some years later, okay. Uh, there's, how, many, what year, how many gap is there? Eight years gap, okay, between our youngest boy. And I don't just count it all the time, but you, you know. Um, Anyway, I remember we had three boys, and so we had the house set up, and we're in Anaheim, California, and the house is all set up, and they had their rooms and all this, and I think two of them shared a room, and then we had an extra room, and then Zoe was born, and I remember we were going to bring Zoe, we were prepping for the room, and then they said, um, Dad, um, where is she going to stay? I said, well, she's going to stay in the house, and they said, where is she going to sleep? And we said, well, we're going to have to change, change around the rooms and put all you guys in one room. What? I said, well, where else would she sleep? I don't know. And then they said, oh, oh, 
how long is she going to stay? I suppose she's born into our house. She's going to stay, I mean, a, a long time, right? Longer than you. Oh, dad, you know? And sometimes that's how it is. Like, well, how long am I going to have to deal with this? How long am I going to have to put up with these people at church? There you Eternity. Forever. Get used to it. Right? Why? Because we're one body. When you got baptized, your old flesh and your old man went under and you're new. Now you're in Christ. Now you're related to the people around you whether you like it or not. You're going to heaven, but so they are too. They are too. Oh, man. <laughs> Some people can't wait to get to heaven to get away from them and you realize they're your next door neighbor in heaven. Oh, my goodness. Someone may ask, why does the church get divided? Well, it says in uh, verse 14 here, it says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many members. People get divided when there's a lot of body parts trying to function as someone else's body part. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard the term, two heads make a monster. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard someone saying, you know, they're, they're, uh, um, they're uh, 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 a lot, stepping on toes, you're stepping on toes. Well, you're only stepping on toes if, with a lot more feet. If, if everyone's trying to be a foot, you're going to step on toes a lot, right? And so what does he, he gives the example here and here, and he says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, or if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Or if the whole uh, body were a hearing, where would be the smelling? For God has set the members, each one of them, in the part as he wills. Let me tell you, you're not supposed to be what you're not. You're not supposed to be what you're not. If you say, well, I wish I were that. Well, you're not. You're not. They're that. Right? How many feet do I have? Two, right? I only have two. There may be other, other parts of my body crying out to be my feet, but I only got two, right? And that's the thing. Everybody, God sets the parts in the body just as he wills, and you can only be who you can be. And you just want to be the best you that you can be. It sounds like Dr. Seuss a little bit, right? You want to be the best you that you can be. So if you're an eye, don't try to be the hearing or the smelling. God gave you the perfect place where you fit and you have the perfect function. He said in verse 19, and if they were all one member, he says, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members but one, but one body. And the eye can't say, I have no need of you. And the feet can't say, I have no need of you. What is he saying? He's saying, not only are you not that part, you need that part. I know that sometimes you can look at other people and you wouldn't say it, but you might think, I'm not sure what use they are. I'm not sure what gift they have, or I'm not sure what gift I have. I'm not sure. Listen, you're necessary and they're necessary. If you're in Christ, he's given you a distinct gift, and you're necessary to the making up of the body, and he's placed you right where he wants you. In verse 22, it says that there's weaker parts, there's less honorable parts, there's unpresentable parts. He's saying, but they're all valuable parts. They're all valuable parts. And he says in verse 25, he doesn't want there to be any schism in the body. Schism. Sounds like Snoop Dogg wrote that a little bit. But he says he doesn't want there to be any schism in the body. He says, but you should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer. And if one member rejoices, all the members rejoice. What does it mean? It means you should have empathy for one another. 
If someone's hurting, you should hurt. Well, it's not me. It is you because it's your body. And if they rejoice, hey, I just got a new car. I've been praying for a new car. Get away from me. No, you should rejoice. Why? Because it's, they're part of the body. It says you are the body of Christ and individuals and individuals uh, for one, uh, of, of one another. By the way, we're the body of Christ. Who's the head? Jesus. There's only one head. None of us. Well, I who's the head? <laughs> Jesus is the head. We can't fight for that position. He's the head. Now, I want to point one more thing out to you. One more thing out to you. I want you to look in Genesis chapter 11. It's not only important, but it's essential for the body of Christ to be in unity. And let me, let me show you why. And I'm going to show you this one more passage here. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1. And it's actually a passage that shows about unity in the bad way. It shows it in a, in a bad way, but God noticed it. Genesis chapter 11, it says the whole earth had one language. At one time, there was only one language. Right now, there's tens of thousands. There could be 100,000. I don't know how many languages there are on earth. Somebody might know that. Um, but there, on the earth, there was only one language, and there was one speech. They talked the same way, and they spoke the same language. And it says in Genesis 11, 2, And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a, a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for, for mortar. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city. What were they saying they are going to do? They're saying they're going to do something for themselves, right? Something for their community, for themselves. And a tower whose top is in the heavens. We're going to make it up all the way into the heaven. They weren't saying it for God. They weren't saying it for someone else. They were saying it for themselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Notice there was selfishness in there. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the whole earth. They're saying, let's make sure that we store it all up here so that our, the descendants don't go in other places. We can make our own community and be self-sufficient and have it all reserved right here. And uh, God's observation of this, though, uh, came into being on the next verse. So they had one language, they had one speech, and their uh, uh, intent was to make something for themselves. Look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, would you say this out loud with me? Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. Say that again. Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. I want you to notice two things that he noticed. Their hearts are one, and their words are one. How did we get saved? By confessing with our mouth and believing in our hearts. How, do, how did Jesus say the mountain would be removed? Whoever confesses, whoever says to the mountain and does not doubt in his heart. There's something about your heart and your mouth joining up together that creates power. And I want you to notice, he said, these people are one, their hearts are one, but their speech is one too. Their words and their heart are coming together. And Jesus and, and God is saying here, uh-oh. What are they about to do? And he says here, um, but the Lord said, uh, indeed, the people are one and they have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Who observed that? What did God say? God said, because their hearts were in unity and because their words were in unity, anything they wanted to do even if it's evil. 
even if it's corrupt. That's why people say, why do people not serving God uh, are able to be uh, able to acquire and, and, and catch things and become prosperous and become successful, so to speak, in the world's eyes? Because they apply the principles that God created. They apply the principles. By the way, how did God create the heavens and the earth? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he say in the darkness? He said, light be. He spoke it. Didn't say he formed it with his hands. He spoke it. He saw it, believed it. He spoke it. How do we create? With our heart and with our mouths. How do we function as a community in unity? With our heart and with our mouths. How do we get in disunity? We change our mouths. And eventually we change our hearts. But I want you to notice what, what God said here. I'm, I'm just saying what God's observation was. So if God observed this, either God didn't know what he was talking about, which that's not true, or God's, you know, or this is true. So he says here, so the, it, it says, uh, come let us go down and, oh, no, he said, uh, so indeed the people are one and they have one language and now nothing they propose will be withheld for them. Come let us go down and there, notice what he said. How did he say he was going to divide the people? Confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. God didn't come and say let's stop them from building. God said let's change what they're saying. Because if you can change what they're saying, they won't have any progress. They won't be able to progress. And so what happened? So the Lord scattered them abroad and there from the face of the earth, which was totally against what they wanted, and they ceased from building the city, and that's why they called it Babel. You know when people go, oh, they're just babbling. That's why they called it, right, the city of Babel. There they babbled because it was a city of Babel, and there the Lord, for there the Lord confused their languages of all the earth, and there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. How did the Lord stop them from progressing? He changed their speech. And how did he break them up? He changed their speech. By the way, it's interesting that in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the Lord wanted to unify the church, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, he gave them a unified language to where they all could understand something. And people from every nation that were scattered all over ended up having a unity of the Spirit again. Let me just tell you, it's important for us. It's important for us. In fact, it's not only important, it's urgent for us to keep a unified speech. So where does that leave us? Well, our relationship with one another is really in proportion. It, it really is, begins with and is in proportion with our relationship with Jesus. You can come up. You can't really say you have a relationship really with one another, like a deep heart and mouth relationship if you don't believe the same things. It's one of the reasons why it says, uh, Paul said the Corinthian church as well, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He said, for what fellowship has light with darkness? He wasn't saying don't hang out with unbelievers, like, you know, uh, you know turn your nose up at them. He was saying you can't connect, you can't partner with them. You can't marry you can't be in business partner. You can't be in a place where you're making decisions together with someone who doesn't have the same heart or words as you do. Why? Because if you do, then their heart is going to go a direction and your heart's going to go a direction. It's just, 
It's not to snood them or put them down. It's just saying you're going to end up being divided. And probably what it'll end up doing is eventually it'll cause you to compromise in what you're doing. And so what should you do? Number one, the reason why we have community together is because of our loyalty and our community and our communion with Jesus. With Jesus. And Jesus said, in a, you know, before he left, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What he was saying, what was he saying? He was saying, you have to die. You have to die to what? You have to die to you. One of the biggest fights you're going to have as a believer is keeping your flesh dead. Keeping your old man, the part that went under the water, remembering that they're dead. Remembering they're not alive anymore. But the part of you that's alive is in Christ. That's, that's how decisions are made, right? I mean, even things, I'm not saying this to coerce you or manipulate you or anything, but even things like discipleship. Were you supposed to go to discipleship? Oh, well, let me just, oh, let me think. Here's what I have going on. Well, I think lordship really comes back to saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Giving, what do you, what do you want me to do? Going and helping someone across the street, what do you want me to do? It's really, I gave my life to the Lord. I don't belong to me anymore. Galatians said, you've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. A lot of times people go, well, now that I'm in Christ, my old man died, but I'm flipping confused. I don't know what to do. I don't even know where my life is. You know why? Because your new life is hidden. It's hidden. Yeah, it's hidden because I can't find it. Let me tell you where to look. Colossians chapter 3. Put that on the screen. Colossians chapter 3. Look at this. Colossians chapter 3. I think I have it on here. Verse 1. It says, if then you were raised with Christ. Read this with me. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Next verse. Set your mind on things above, not on things above. Read this again. Set your mind on things above, not on things. Just keep that up. Keep that up there for me. You know, we wouldn't have a difficult time with the struggles we have if we just listen to that. Because I don't think we struggle with things above. <laughs> it's usually things on earth, right? <laughs> My struggle is not on the things in heaven. Oh, I'm just struggling with the things that are going on in heaven today. <laughs> no, it's the junk on earth. And look at this next verse. This, for you died. Wait, who died? Who died? We died. What part of us died? See, in baptism, <laughs> the old man died. For you died. You know you don't feed a dead man? You ever tried to bring a snack to the dead man at the funeral? I, brought, I baked him some brownies. Before he left. No, he's not going to eat. Right? He's dead. He's not going to eat. The family will eat it, but he's not going to eat. But sometimes we want to feed the dead man. We want to listen to the dead man. What do you want to do? You know, I still want to be considerate. He's dead. He doesn't make decisions anymore. He's dead. No, notice, you died. And now your life, what life? The new life. 
Your life, this is the life, by the way, where with we share community. See, and a lot of times we're trying to share community, but yet we realize we have two lives. You talk about someone living a double life. Listen, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if we're looking for our life in a different place <laughs> than in the Lord, then we won't be able to find it. And then we'll be lost, and what will, what will the default be? To go back to our old life. And it's why people go back to their old life, because they can't find their new one. And they can't find their new one because they didn't look in the right place. That's where we share community. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Um, we find our life in Christ and we find our purpose, let me tell you, in the context of Christ's body. We find our purpose in the a lot of times people, they go, I, I, I love Christ, but I don't really know what my purpose is. You find your purpose in the context of Christ's body. I want to read this to you, this last verse, Ephesians 1, Look at this. It says, and he put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want to remind you, the church isn't just some separate part that was born out of God. The church is God. The, in fact, the, the Bible says the church is the fullness of Christ. The church is the fullness of... The church is a big deal to Jesus. Church is people. The church is a big deal to Jesus. Do you know I'm in love with my wife's body? <laughs> I know that sounds funny. I'm in love with my wife's body. Just in case you didn't know, we have four kids. And Jesus is in love with his, with the body of Christ. Jesus is in love with the body of Christ. Don't be like, I don't know, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Church is Jesus. You better watch out what you say. I've never met a person that was in love with Jesus that didn't love his body. That's, that's why I've committed my life to the local church. It's not because it's the easiest job. It's not because it's the easiest responsibility. It's because that's what Jesus loves. And that's who we ought to love. And listen, if you want to find fulfillment, if you want to find purpose, if you want to find fulfillment in your life of who God's called you to be, fall in love with Christ and his body. And I promise you, something will change. Father, I pray for every person in this room today. I pray for anyone who's lost purpose. I pray for anyone who's lost their identity. Our identity shouldn't be, we live in a world that's, I identify as this or with this or this and that. What do you think about that, David? I think our identity needs to be in Christ. 
Our identity needs to be as an image bearer of Christ Jesus. I identify as a believer. I identify as a new creation. Can somebody say that with me today? I identify as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Say this, I'm a believer of Jesus. I commit my life to Jesus Christ. Can you say that today? I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my salvation. Say this today, I repent of my old life. And I commit to follow Christ moving forward. Jesus, show me my life. Show me who you've created me to be. Come on, for those who are lacking purpose right now, just say, Jesus, show me your purpose. Jesus, show me your purpose. Jesus, I pray that you'd tonight, today, Lord, open up eyes, open up hearts. I pray that every person in here would experience the fulfillment that you've created us to experience. Not only by being a believer in Christ, but by functioning and flowing as your sons and your daughters and your body who loves one another. In Jesus' name. May we be a unified church. Would you pray that with me? Lord, I pray that we'd be a unified church. A church where no one walks out of here discouraged or depressed. No one walks out of here in lack or need. But that every need is supplied. Every need is met. And I pray that this would be a witness to the world. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, and I pray for every person who made you the Lord of their life. I pray for every person who's confessed you as the Lord and Savior of their life today. I pray that you'd confirm that with them. And I thank you that they're born again today. <laughs> New in, on the inside today. In Jesus' name. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Podcast.